Welcome to the Lazy Geeks Podcast, a podcast that takes a look at pop culture, technology, social media, politics, or whatever I choose to cover, and tells you why you can't believe everything you read online or hear about on TikTok. Welcome, 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 welcome back to another week of an episode of the Lazy Geeks Podcast. Stephen Vargas here, and I have some things to hit you up with in the opening housekeeping section before we get through some of the big news that happened throughout the week. This episode might be a little bit longer because there's quite a bit of stuff to get through, so I'll try to make it quick. First up, I want to remind you guys that the Away Team is back. That's our Star Trek-centric podcast. Uh, The episodes are running a little bit different starting last week. This season of the Away Team, we were starting with season one of Discovery. Now, as many of you are noticing from this podcast, Adam isn't back for that podcast either. So, but uh, way, way, way back in 2017, Adam and I did uh, another iteration of the Away Team. Some of those episodes I've thrown in as filler, where we're solely focusing on TNG. Well, in this bout, we did what we had called minisodes, which were supposed to be about 20, 25 minute episodes regarding, uh, the first season of Discovery, which were going to, was supposed to be secondary episodes tied to the main show. Well, some of those shows remained about 25 minutes. Other ones went up to about an hour. Uh, but I had actually lost those episodes. However, I didn't, I forgot that when I had, we had done our YouTube channel, I was uploading a bunch of old episodes, um, on, uh, and some of the away team episodes were on there. So if you wanted to listen to some of those old shows, you can actually go to our YouTube channel, the lazy geeks and find some of those old episodes of the away team. And anyway, I found a lot of those old, actually, I found all the minisodes and a episode of another podcast that we had done called just another podcast. And all of those had our reviews of the entire first season of Discovery. So what was supposed to be my solo voyage in this part of Discovery actually is still Adam and myself, but from 2017. So what I have been doing on those, that run has been doing re-uploading those lost episodes in the podcast version. So when you listen to our first episode back, actually covered the two-part season premiere, which was the Vulcan Hello and Battle of the Binary Stars. That's going to have Adam and myself from way back in 2017. So it's kind of cool to re-upload those as particularly new content, but following in you know the pattern of what we had done. Season two, though, which will start in the early part yeah, I figure with the way this goes, probably March of 2024, I'll jump into season two, uh, either solo or with Adam. I don't know. 
Still haven't decided on that yet. But if you want to catch those and all the other old episodes that we had done of Enterprise and The Cage and First Contact, you can go ahead and listen to The Away Team, a Star Trek podcast, and listen to all, all those old episodes and listen to the new ones, new slash old <laughs> episodes coming from that. So you can find that show wherever you found this one. And in regards to a podcast, recently I was rebranding an old podcast called The Gen Xer Pod, and I have opted to stop. I'm no longer doing that podcast. The feed's gone. The reason I've opted to do to get rid of it is because I'm I'm the the Gen X part kind of tied me down, and it really kind of limited my scope. So I was creating other podcasts to kind of diversify my thought process, not only just Gen X, but also like, you know, you guys know, if you've been listening to this show long, I love conspiracy theories. Uh, I've had a falling out with my old, uh, my old evangelical religion. Um, so there's a lot of that. So I wanted to kind of come up with something that was going to kind of be a little more open-ended, a little something that's going to give me more range to talk about different episodes. So with that being said, I'm replacing the Gen Xer pod with Pushpin Theorists, which is a weekly podcast that's going to focus on nuance, the lack of nuance that we have. Why is everything either one or the other? What's this tribal mentality? Why are you either pro-Christian or anti-Christian? Why are you pro-cop or anti-cop? Uh, why does red pill mean your version of reality is the right one? It, it and... We use broad themes and broad reasonings, you know, that all of the things we do fall into either one or the other. Like we have racism, but racism doesn't mean you have to be anti-white. But there also has to mean that even on the minority side, there's got to be a little give and pull. So it's it's a discussion of why we have to go into nuance. Why nowadays? And this is a problem, not just in, like a lot of people say, well, that's just Gen Z or that's just Gen Alpha. No, it's not. It actually started way back during the time of boomers when you had television come into play. Topics can only be handled within half hour or hour or 30 second increments. Political ads became 30 second increments. Before that, you were able to have 15, 20 minute Debates, conversations. Now you can't. If you say something that's, if you say that cops need oversight, oh, well, then you're anti-cop. That's not how it works. And also, if you say you're anti-cop, what does that mean? That means that cops, either all cops are bad or no cops are bad. You can't have it both ways. And when something goes bad, well, there were just a few bad apples. No, that's what a lot of things have to deal with is bad apples. So... The teaser is out this week. The first episode is going to be out. So it's not going to be one consistent topic all the way through. It's going to, we're going to jump around in different segments for nuance. So if you want to get back to the art of nuance, my idea is the art of debate, getting back to where we can actually have more than one thing, where we're actually not either liberal or conservative, you know, and being Middle of the road. We hear this a lot in progressive uh, circles, and and republic and alt right um, circles that there's no middle of the road. Middle of the road doesn't exist anymore. Yes, it does. In fact, 
that's a majority of us. Nobody's either one or the other. I'm, I, I, I'm that itself. So you can go ahead and wherever you get this show, you can look up Pushpin Theorists, which will come out every Wednesday. And the Away Team Star Trek podcast comes out every Friday. So you'll be able to have some kind of content coming from the Lazy Geese in that time frame. All right. So if you listened to last week's episode, you know I made a promise as to what would be the topic this week. Yeah, I changed my mind. The whole thing with YouTube and ad blockers, it just seems to be getting out of hand. And there are there are two sides, actually, three sides to the story to the story. So I thought it'd be more important to cover it now and move DC to next week. So forgive me. So with all that out of the way, let's get on to the news. All right. So I have a follow-up to last week's main topic about the Marvel problem. Seems like Marvel is learning from their mistakes. You may remember that I brought up Marvel's decision to drop all the writers and directors from their Daredevil Born Again series. Well, they brought in a showrunner. They hired Darlo or Dario Scardapane. I know I butchered that name, so forgive me. Uh, he wrote and co-executive produced, sorry, he wrote and executive produced Marvel's series The Punisher to replace head writer Chris Ord and Matt Corman. Justin Brenson, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who directed Marvel's Moon Knight, and are the lead directors of season two of Loki, will step in to direct the rest of the first season of Born Again. Why is this important? Well, it strikes home the point that one person will be in charge during the production. In a piece I wrote for the site, the Lazy Geeks for .wordpress.com, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes turmoil for creative control of their movies, of their television line. Apparently, any uh, they used the same method for their television shows that they did for their movies. Now, this led to delays in such shows like Secret Invasion, when initial writers were booted as soon as directors were brought on board. This could lead to shows starting to make pilots versus their current model, which consists of Marvel commissioning whole seasons of s- without seeing what it actually may look like first. Some insiders comment that traditional television model is something Marvel is actually looking to incorporate in their future. I think it's great. It shows that Marvel is starting to learn from their mistakes. As I said before, they are pulling back on content, stopping producing limited-run shows, and are now getting showrunners that can make the show they want rather than stabbing each other in the back for control. I guess we'll be able to see how it works out in Born Again. Much have been much has been speculated about the future of the streaming service Hulu when the contract between Comcast and Disney expires. The Hollywood Reporter confirms that Disney is agreeing to pay $8.61 billion for its 33% stake, which is owned by Comcast. That makes Disney the sole owner of the streaming service. Now, this is huge news, but what does it mean? Well, about a year or so ago, many expected that Hulu would be purchased by Disney and make it their streaming content provider for things that didn't necessarily fit into the Disney Plus brand. Maybe, maybe the R-rated content like Deadpool and much of Fox fair, Fox's fair. However, Deadpool and some others are appearing on Disney+. Plus. It could mean that it would be more cost-effective to rent out their non-Disney content to other platforms to generate revenue for the studio, as it's been doing now, like considering selling ESPN. 
or according to some media reports, sell a stake to share the burden of ESPN and bring in technology that would allow it to offer more content. My personal opinion, I think Disney will take full ownership and look for a buyer. Comcast would have had that option if Disney told them they could, but it makes more sense to pay nearly $9 billion now and then recoup that with some of the extra cash since the company is valued at at least $27.5 billion. Not to mention they're probably not making a whole lot of money on that Hulu plus live TV. That shit is ridiculously expensive. But I see no other financial benefit. Recoup their money and have a bit more in the wallet. Give up Hulu because, let's, let's be honest, there's not a whole lot left for Hulu to really offer. Now, this shouldn't be too much of a shock. But for some reason, social media thought it was. Superman and Lois will be ending with its fourth season. People seem to not understand what's going on with the CW. Why? Well, because they keep asking on social media. Why do they keep doing what they're doing? See, a while back, the CW was purchased by Nextar, a conservative company, and they chose to no longer do business with Warner Brothers or CBS. Hence, the cancellation of all the DC shows except Superman and Lois. Well, to explain why, the CW never turned a profit. It was losing money every season it was the CW after it became after it ceased to be the WB. Nextar decided that they were going to do things differently, like make a profit. And they were going to focus on cheaper content, and they purchased the rights to that fucking Jesus show, which would do well for a particular demographic. Superman and Lois was a bubble show after The Flash ended last season. Finally, Warner Brothers and Nextar came to an agreement, cut down the cost of their show, and they could give them an abbreviated final season to wrap things up. Since most, if not all, the supporting cast was cut from the fourth season, it didn't take a rocket science to fi- scientist to figure out that this was going to be it. I mean, Arrow and The Flash all had abbreviated final seasons. When you get to shows, when you get shows into six, seven, eight, and nine, you start, they start getting too expensive. The cast itself will demand so much more. Everything just gets more expensive. Season four, season five is usually when shows tend to reach their peak and start to sink after that. So, but this week, they made it official with a press release and all. So when I saw it, I kind of had this Mandela effect moment. Like, didn't we already know that? It sucks, but this is one of those that I saw coming when I heard Nextar was ditching all the WB shows because they aren't partners with the CW anymore. All you HBO legacy cons- customers are about to feel the pain. Those of you that were paying their old $16 grandfathered uh tier, which included three concurrent streams and 4K viewing of shows and movies, well, you just got the announcement that on December 5th, you will either need to pony up the $4, the extra $4, or settle for full HD and only two concurrent streams. That is what anyone outside of the U.S. would call first world problems. Back in May of this year, Warner Brothers Discovery announced that the new pricing tier and gave anyone already on that plan six-month grace period just before the holidays, you know, because you're going to get hit with another price increase. Woohoo! The service introduced the tier when Max launched, promising users access to a thousand 4K movies and TV show episodes, some of which 
supported Dolby Atmos and Vision, subscribers who chose to keep their legacy plan will have to make do with just full HD. An ultimate ad-free subscription allows subscribers to stream up to four devices at once, aside from giving them access to 4K content. It costs quite a bit more than the regular ad-free subscription, but those who want the higher quality streaming and can afford to plunk down 200 in one go will be seeing their yearly expenses to H to max go up by just a few cents per month. Since Discovery purchased Warner Brothers, they started to remind me that of the AT&T of old, a nickel and dime their customers for a bit of benefit. The biggest issue is not com- the companies. It's the consumer base. They are so addicted to their shows that they will pay whatever their companies demand to access their chicken noodle soup of the soul content. And until demand for these services drops, they will keep charging you ridiculous amounts. So stop sitting there and blaming, oh, fucking Max is so fucking expensive. Oh, Netflix is so fucking expensive. It's really your fault. Before I return to start doing this show again, I came across the issue with YouTube and its fight against ad blockers. I really didn't pay too much attention to it as I pay for YouTube Premium. Yes, I have an ad blocker on my Firefox browser, but I really purchased it for viewing on my television. Some of you may have noticed that ads on your mobile devices aren't too bad. However, if you watch it on the their app on your TV, it isn't any better than watching regular cable. In fact, it's probably worse. As I told a friend, it's kind of ridiculous to spend 15 minutes watching a video that was slated to be nine minutes long. Don't I don't mind ads on like Spotify because it's like listening to the radio, but at least they give you 30 minutes ad free when you log in after a bit. It came to be more, it came more to my attention recently when my YouTube feed was just dominated by videos talking about it. Many of it from content creators, so you already know they kind of have a personal bias. However, many of the ones I saw were actually balanced enough to say, but these ads are a little much. What got my recent attention was rumors that ad blockers were violating terms of service. The use of ad blockers violates YouTube's terms of service, a spokesperson told Engadget. We've launched a global campaign to earn, to urge viewers with ad blockers enable to allow all ad, allow ads on YouTube or try YouTube premium for an ad free experience. Ads support a diverse ecosystem of creators globally and allow billions of to access their favorite content on YouTube. End quote. Really? That's the angle they're going Of course, that's the angle they're going to go for. Now, to be fair, this is their prerogative. They cornered the market and will ease and with an easily accessible site to watch videos and share them anywhere. It's important. And most importantly, it's free. Now, in order to discuss this properly, it's necessary to divide the three biggest factors in this argument. There's YouTube, users, and content creators. Now, like anything, YouTube can change their terms of service whenever they want to. That's their right. You cannot wiggle your way out of it like you see those idiots on Facebook that believe that posting, quote, I do not give you my permission to use any of my personal data or photos, end quote, allows them, you know, that allows them exemption from terms of service. 
those morons never seem to understand that the accept button you click to sign up on with, that gives them your permission. Obviously, YouTube is a company and the company needs to make money somehow. And you can take the ads, they, they can take the ads they have and litter them across the service to gain revenue. Like how television and radio stations work. But there seems a bit of a push that you don't have the right to use to view it any way you want to. And again, that's their prerogative. They can change the rules regardless of what you believe you should have the rights to. Now, there was a similar push when there was the advent of DVRs. Ad companies, or should I say the ad lobby, tried to get DVR manufacturers to remove the option to fast forward through commercials. But that was features that companies like TiVo used in their marketing campaign. It never passed, but many streaming companies won't allow you to scrub past the ads. Yet, they are offering a free service, but they need to generate revenue. I mean, if ad revenue dropped and people started pulling out, you think it'll continue to be free? Of course not. They'll become like Elon Musk and start charging users. And in, or in order to view YouTube, you would have to have YouTube Premium. As a side note, it would be better if YouTube stripped YouTube Music as a benefit from Premium and just make it a few dollars less, like 10 bucks and you just get commercial-free experience. Charge more if you want offline capabilities. I don't really use that. YouTube Music, I barely use that. To be honest, most people are just paying not to see ads. Now, there is the consumer side. Depending on how often you watch YouTube will determine how much you give a fuck. I find myself watching it more than normal television. But then again, I pay for premium. When I couldn't afford it, I didn't watch it all that much. Those ads were ridiculous. For me, that's a bit different. Because I watch, you know, some content creator stuff. But I spend time on content for my own shows. Or spend time looking for news footage about major events. But the reason we've come to love ad blockers is because of our hatred for ads. And that hatred has been with us longer than YouTube has been around. I'm old enough to remember when you downloaded a free chat messenger or some free software. You had the option to download McAfee antivirus or like an MSN toolbar. Some people never paid attention until I would use their computer. I'd be on their browser and see how small the screen was. And they had just installed all these toolbars that you could barely see anything. I would spend the next 15 minutes just uninstalling them for them. Many of us got into ad blockers when pop-ups became a huge deal. You'd be looking for a recipe on your for some dessert you saw on TV, and halfway through, a pop-up ad for guns and ammo would appear. Now, if I'm being totally honest, when you went to your favorite porn site and millions of pop-up ads would obscure the actual thing you were looking for, and it gotten so bad that you can't even install ad blockers on mobile devices now. Would be fine if they weren't so rampant that you think you clicked on the X to get out of an ad, but you act it was so close to a link that took you to another ad or a malicious site. And many times they were the ads they were the ads that took you to those sites. Now I'm quickly reminded of it when I look at an article on my iPhone or Pixel. And you're in the middle of reading an article and then a splash ad covers the entire screen saying, you won something. Many people 
would pay to not see commercials. Look at Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, and others from back in the day before ad-supported tiers. Hulu was the first to say, oh, you want to access our site? You need to pay up front first. At first, it was commercial-free unless the show was super popular, then we'll show you ads. Yet their ad-free version still shows some ads. Man, they show a ton of ads. When I rejoin YouTube, I mean Hulu once in a while, it quickly reminds me of just how bad they are. Now, there are content creators to consider. And I don't agree with Linus Tech Tips, ad blockers are piracy. No, they aren't. It isn't. Piracy is putting out content for a fair price. You choose to circumvent that purchase and obtain it for free. Taking something from someone else and giving it away is piracy. Or obtaining someone else's content and selling it is piracy. Skipping ads on television is not piracy. Yet, they tried to use that when the VCR came out. Media companies claimed that people would steal content by recording movies and, and shows. That was That is considered illegal. But you can do it for your own personal use. And it didn't crush television and movie studios like they claimed, just like they said, you know, about streaming or even the pandemic. But I get it. Every one person that skips an ad is one-tenth of a penny that's missing from your wallet. And this is what you created to make money. Or was it to provide a service? Or was it to do both? Now, I have sympathy for creators, but you can't tell me that all your viewers are using ad blockers. There's actually no metric for that. But here's my other question. If those ads are so important to you, why should I also have to sit through an, your own sponsorship ad that is already in your video or the countless ads for your merch. Obviously, you make more money from them than you do from Google, especially if Google randomly decides that you cannot monetize your video, but at the same time, still runs ads in those videos, but the money goes to Google. Now, personally, I don't have the criteria to make money yet on my videos, but YouTube still runs ads on them. Like when Spotify runs my podcasts on their service, and runs ads. I don't see a dime of that. Like Mastamax said on Reddit, quote, I have a gaming channel. YouTube decided that it wasn't fit for advertisers, so demonetized it, and then goes on and puts ads on my videos. How fair is that? Can't even remove their any ads from my own videos, so I'll be running ad blockers as long as possible. Still possible on Firefox at, Firefox at the moment. And then there's the ad experience. Ever listen to a podcast on a podcast app and then in the middle of a sentence, the ad kicks on? That's not a good experience. If it happens too often, I stop listening to the show. There are countless shows I've stopped when the guy's in the middle of giving this heartfelt this heartfelt story and he's in the mid-sentence and then boom, uh, Santa Clarita Toyota is having, it's like, whoa. And it's also twice as loud. But anyway, that's similar to actually watching a YouTube video when that abruptly cuts off to show you a commercial. Lux Tabula said this on Reddit. The problem no one seems to be under addressing is that the ad experience on YouTube sucks. These people act like they've never grew up with a TV. Don't just inject an ad in some random spot of a video that clearly wasn't edited for commercials. Nothing's worse than watching a video explaining things only to be interrupted due to the ineptitude of a poorly programmed algorithm. Fix the ad experience then fewer people will resort to ad blockers. 
Now, personally, I've seen some videos that have a couple of seconds of dead air or a black screen for commercial breaks and nothing shows up. Then the commercial cuts in 30 seconds into the video after that black screen. I haven't experienced this for myself, but people claim that some ads are just like music videos or just music videos. Totally not porn games, influencer brands, other YouTubers, and the like. Now, most of my commercials were fairly generic. Although I was getting really sick of seeing Ryan Reynolds' Mint Mobile commercials at the beginning of every fucking video. Now, I think Pluto and Peacock have the best representation of what an ad experience should be. Peacock runs a few ads, and my experience that I would be watching a movie, I kind of forget that I was watching ad-supported content. Or they run three ads at the beginning of a movie, and then the movie was ad-free. Pluto has the best ad experience of all services. You're watching a movie, and an ad pops in, and they signal that an ad is coming. And when you're watching the ads, it tells you how many ads you're going to be seeing. And the more ads it shows, the shorter they are. When it returns from commercial, it backtracks 10 seconds before the break so you remember where you left off. NBC News Live gives you a running timer, how much time you have until the program returns. All of these are great experiences. And you're telling me a tech company can't figure out how to do that? The problem is threefold. YouTube is greedy, and you're the last thing on their mind regarding revenue. Unless you're Logan Paul, SS Sniper Wolf, or some other sketchy content creator. And they will make money off your content while you can't. Which seems a bit weird, right? But we can't find advertisers for you, but we found some. Plus, their services like the IRS. You submit content, then they reject it. And, you know, what's wrong with it? But they won't tell you. You'll have to figure it out. Just ask any reaction channel the problems that they run into when they have to re-upload movies because they got a copyright flag, but don't tell you exactly why they got a copyright flag. And consumers will put up with a lot. They honestly will. And if you don't like reviewing ads, then stop using the service. That's it. But you won't. They won't. You'll whitelist it, but still complain about it. But we've been burned by the internet for over 20 years, so I get you. Content creators deserve to gain something for their content. But two true content creators will go to sites like Nebula or Patreon and ask people to support them through that because YouTube can be fucking silly. If you want us to believe that ad blockers are killing your brand, stop running sponsor ads or selling merch on your videos. Then maybe we'll buy that ad blocker kills creation line. All right, everybody. Lastly today... My douchebag of the week. So, my douchebag of the week is Tatiana Siegel and Variety. So, this week came a damning piece about the troubles at Marvel in Variety. I mean, it was damning only if you don't keep up with Marvel news or watch for people leaking news on Twitter. Still not calling it X. Not going to do it. The piece by controversial, air quotes, writer... Tatiana Siegel did an overblown blog piece that you would find on Heroic Hollywood or some clickbait site to try to make a big deal about it, try to draw in clicks, draw in engagement, things like that. 
it was a shit piece putting all the blame on Marvel president Kevin Feige instead of where the blame should have been placed at the feet of Bob Chapek. And to be honest, Tatiana probably didn't even know who was running Disney at the time because, you know, God forbid you actually look it up on Google. But she managed to mention in one sentence that this oversaturation method came from Disney, but then repeatedly blamed Feige and superhero fatigue. And if you listened to my episode last week, I explained why it was Bob Chapek's fault for all of Disney and every, and all their sub studios ills. Much like the issues at Warner Brothers, there was an edict to cover the streaming service with Marvel content. And all the quote-unquote problems this quote-unquote blogger wrote was stuff we already knew from over the past year. The Jonathan Majors issues, the underperforming of Mania, the problem plaguing Phase 4, and so many other things. It was simply a rehash of problems we already knew. The biggest takeaway from the piece was that bullshit Avengers movie to bring people back to the theaters, including Black Widow and Iron Man. That isn't a Marvel move. That is something a studio other than Marvel would do. Not to mention Chris Evans and RDJ have said they won't be coming back anytime soon. Also, let's not forget the money they would ha- they would need to shell out to get these people back. There is already people in the know that actually called a reporting bullshit. There was no all-woman Blade reboot. And let's forget all the quotes that she got that were from outsiders that observed the business explaining what Marvel, in their opinion, needs to do. And there were a few quote-unquote sources, which are probably people just trolling her on Twitter. And this is the same reporter that reported on Ray Fisher's issues with Warner Brothers and, and Justice League boss Joss Whedon, and even he called her out on some of the fictitious news she reported in her piece. And it seems that many established sources have turned to clickbait reporting, like the Daily Beast have been posting entertainment reviews by people that didn't actually see the movie that they're supposed to be reviewing, or television show. In the end, she and the publication got what they wanted. People grabbing pieces of information, like the new Avengers movie, to throw out in their feeds for weeks. Uneducated TikTok commentators claiming this it's damning, which proves that they never followed the information before. Essentially, they got clicks, engagement, and promotion of a bullshit media piece. Y'all need to start doing better. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what I'm doing, you have two ways to help out. One, you can make a one-time donation to make this show self-sustaining through either PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. Check the show notes for details and links. Or two, you can share us on social media or review us on Apple Podcasts. This will make the algorithm gods promote our show onto an unsuspecting public. You can also stalk me on Facebook, facebook.com slash thelazygeeks4, Instagram, YouTube, Threads, or TikTok under at thelazygeeks, all one word, if you're old school, email me at thelazygeeksnetwork at gmail.com. And want to read some news, blogs, or just some of my random musings? Check out the blog at thelazygeeks4.wordpress.com. So that's it for me this week. So until next time, I'm Stephen Vargas. Remember, we're thinking so you don't have to. Yeah.